Amen, amen. Well, one of the things that we're going to be getting into in Amos chapter 6 is, is a specific phrase that it, 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 it should ring alarm bells within every church of every nation and every tribe and every tongue. Zion is God's city, and Zion has always been at war with those around it. Ever since the children of God went into the land of Israel, into the promised land, if you remember in your Sunday school maybe, that they didn't eliminate every enemy. And it's very much so in our own lives that we sometimes leave some enemies. We, we get some victories, but then we leave some battles alone. Some of those precious things that we don't want to talk about. And, and, and the sad reality is that it oftentimes parallels in a believer's life and how the nation of Israel handled its own issues and its own enemies. But here in Amos chapter 6, verse number 1, it says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Now, woe to them that are at ease in Zion speaks of a specific phrase, which means that a lot of times in our lives, we choose comfortableness. We choose comfortableness over the fight. Just in, in the, the exact same breath that King David chose, the ease of Zion, and then his eyes saw Bathsheba. When he should have been involved in the battle with the rest of the nation leading as leaders should lead, instead of getting in where he was supposed to be, he went back and was at ease in Zion and sinned, most notably his probably greatest sin. When his eyes were captivated by Bathsheba, he went down a road. And don't mistake that every single believer can. Is Every believer, is, is, is there's still the possibility of sin. If you yield to the flesh, if you yield to temptation, the devil will seek to destroy not only you, not only your innocence, not only you, the, the innocence of your life, but your family, your friends, your church, and even your very nation. God is there, but if you are not calling on him and walking in the spirit, you will yield to that flesh nature. The flesh nature seeks the status quo. And I, I think probably the best way of saying ease in Zion is status quo. It's not to ruffle any feathers. It's not to stick your neck out and get counted for the cause. It is just keeping everything the same, everything that will be, just let it be. Don't ruffle any feathers. Don't rock the boat. Don't lift your voice. You know, if, if they're going to get mad at you for being a, a Christian, then don't let them know you're a Christian. This kind of status quo mentality has, listen, robbed the church, robbed the church of the sacred spirit. The Spirit of God anoints the bold. The Spirit of God anoints those that seek the power that comes from on high. But it will, the Spirit of God will put boldness in the believer. And if you don't have boldness, you don't have the Spirit. 
It does, it, now, this, the boldness may manifest in different ways, but you can see from the very first time at Pentecost when the apostle Peter got anointed with the Holy Ghost and he walked out the door, he faced a crowd that just days prior shouted, crucify him. He shouted out and preached to them and he said, you did this. He went from hiding to preaching because of the boldness of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit has anointed a believer, he produces boldness, a willingness to stand and be counted for the cause, a willingness to lend their voice to Zion, not to ease in Zion. Zion in itself is an expression of the extension of the kingdom of God. And we should desire to see everything around us reflect heaven. We should desire to see God's kingdom advance in our own lives and through us. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 17 that the kingdom of God does not come with observation, but it is within us. It is, it begins here. It begins in us. It begins with us being who God has called us to be and not shrinking back from it and allowing the spirit of God to enable us to advance the kingdom forward. That maybe your home needs peace in it. Maybe you need to get the, the anointing from the Spirit of God so that you can be a voice, listen, for peace in your home. Maybe you need to be the one that calls for purity in the home or in the city or in your friends' lives. Maybe you need to be the one that calls for those things. But what we see here is this status quo has plagued the church since its inception. The status quo is a desire to keep things the way they are. And I think that, that this status quo is what has removed or, or voided out the power of God in the church. We, all we want is the air conditioning and the tithes buckets to keep passing, and we don't want to say anything that's, that's going to ruffle feathers, but that's why we're in the place we're in. We have no power in the church because we're at ease while the world is drowning, while the world is burning down. As long as the tithe buckets pass, we're not going to say nothing. In fact, we might pour some gasoline on the fire just to keep the tithe bucket going, but until until the church is willing to stick its neck out, empowered and emboldened by the Spirit of God, we will be stuck at ease in Zion and voided from the power of God. If we choose status quo, we are disqualifying ourselves from the Spirit of God. Make no mistake about it. You cannot have both. If you desire the status quo, it is not the Spirit of God that is desiring that. The status quo is for carnal believers. We don't want to rock the boat. We want to keep the we want to keep the thing going on. It, the, the church, I've said it many times, but the church is like a carnival these days. But we want to keep the carnival going. The status quo will never bring the results that God has for the church. The status quo has got us to the place it is now, but listen to me, it will never 
It will never, the status quo will never receive the power to deliver. The power to deliver. See, if, if, if you're satisfied with the status quo, why cry out for a deliverer? I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about um, Moses in just a second. Moses was the deliverer that God used to bring the nation of Israel out of bondage. Now let's spiritualize that. You know some folks in bondage? Huh? You want to be the vessel that God uses to liberate them? Then God would use you as a Moses. But in order to be a deliverer, listen, you have to be tired of the status quo. If you are fine with the status quo, you wouldn't want to be delivered. And you wouldn't want to be a deliverer. Before God called Moses, the people of God called out to God. These hundreds of years, we've been enslaved. We've been in bondage. I'm tired of it. That's good. This is what we need in our world. We need people to say, I'm tired of the way things are going. And to cry out to God. And when people begin to cry out to God... He hears them. He hears them. When God's people cry out to God, he hears them. When any person cries out to God. Listen, the deliverer will deliver, but the captive must cry for help. We see this that is played out in the nation of Israel's life. Whenever they were in bondage in Egypt, they cried out for help. But the reason, listen, if the reason that they cried out for help is because, why? They were tired of the status quo. Their status quo was slavery. That was their status quo. And it didn't start out that way. It started out great when Joseph was next to Pharaoh. It started out wonderful. Everybody's story starts out great sometimes, and then it just kind of got off track. And you know what? Generation after generation, they just said, well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. But there came a generation in Moses' day that cried out to God, and God heard their prayers. God heard their prayers. They turned to God, and God heard the prayer of the people. And God stirred something up. God stirred something up. He put his hand on Moses' life from the beginning. Do you think that there was a crocodile that was about to eat that basket going down the Nile? Ain't happening. That crocodile couldn't open his mouth. The Lord put super glue in there. God had his hand on Moses' life from the beginning. And God used Moses. But Moses had to say yes. Are you with me? If Moses would not have, God would have raised up somebody else. You see in a little bit, the nation of Israel, when they wouldn't go into the promised land, God let the other generation go into the promised land. Oh, you don't want to go in? I got it for you. I delivered you to it, but you don't want to go in? Then you're going to die in the desert. 
and I'm going to let your kids go in. But I want you to see that they had gotten to a place where the status quo was not good enough anymore. And you don't want to, you want to know when the church is going to be empowered again? You want to know when we're going to see the manifestations of the Spirit again? You, know, you want to know when we're going to see people filled with the Holy Spirit? And you want to see when the church is going to go to these altars and pray it out? You want to know when that's going to be? When we're tired of the status quo. As long as we're satisfied with the status quo, we will not hit our knees. As long as there's ease in Zion, the church will not hit its knees. And make no mistake about it, this is where we are supposed to be. We bow our knees to the Creator, not to any created being. And so... um, the, the, the reason that there is a, a, a problem in Zion is because the treasure of their hearts became the way things are. Hello? The treasure of their hearts became the way things are. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you know if you said something, it was going to cost you? Maybe it'll cost you a job. Maybe it'll cost you a promotion. Maybe it'll cost you a friend. Maybe it'll cost you a peaceful night in your family. (laughs) But you know if you say what you have to say, it's going to cost you. Now you know where I'm touching on. The status quo shrinks back from courage. The status quo shrinks back from courage. Now, you have to know where your treasure is. If your treasure is here and now, you will inevitably find a valley to be satisfied in. If your treasure is in the world as it is now, you will inevitably do what you got to do to get your stuff. Whether it be a new car or a new house or I've even seen somebody in church take somebody else's wife. You go do what you got to do to get yours. It's status quo living. It's low living. God has higher purposes for you and for me and for every child of God. Let me show you in Matthew chapter 6, greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher, God himself. When we see the things that are going on in the world and you see how people are doing anything and everything to get what they want in this life, even willing to kill others, even willing to steal from others, even willing to do violence to others. They have missed. The church has failed them. The church has not presented the whole counsel of God. Watered down gospel from weak Christians has produced what we see in the world today. I heard all my life since I've been saved that the problems of the nation started the pulpits. 
But if that's where they start, that's where they'll also end. If we'll begin to lift our voices for Jehovah God and shout out the directives that the, God, that the Spirit of God leads us into, we will see a change, the necessary change that needs to take place. The status quo. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. There's been a lot of that going on in the last couple of weeks. And it will continue to go on until the kingdom of God moves forward. The kingdom of God will not move forward as long as we're satisfied with the status quo. So at some point, we have to be um, aware that maybe in the church world, maybe we should not have be, we should not be so worldly. If we tell somebody it is a blessed life when you have a 24,000 carat airplane, If we tell people that that is the blessed life, we're only throwing gasoline on the fire that the flesh has set in their own lives. That's all they already know, and we're just telling them to get more blessed. This is how you do it. The blessing that God gives his people is himself. The greatest blessing you will ever have is the Spirit of God that never leaves. When we look at blessings as carnal things, we are doing a disservice to the Spirit of God. What God blesses. Wow, we have missed it so far. The blessing of God is when a marriage gets healed. The blessing of God is when a, 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 a sick person is healed. A blessing of God is when a lost soul is saved. The blessing of God is when a weak Christian gets filled with the almighty spirit of God. The blessed life is the life that is lived devoid of the status quo, but filled with the fire of God. That's the blessed life. When we equate blessings with gold, we are, we are robbing God of the glory he deserves. Any old goat can put on gold. But only a child of God can put on the spirit of God. You can put... You, you know, you can put a gold ring in a pig's nose. Gold is not God's blessing. You know, you know why? Because God's people, when they're in their truest form, are the most persecuted people that have ever lived. From Abel to people in Africa right now. 
a pastor last week that was gunned down with his wife in the farm by Muslims for being Christians. Left behind, I think, seven children. From Abel all the way to today, believers in their truest form are persecuted. You want to tell me that they weren't blessed as they left this earth? You want to tell me that Stephen was not blessed as he was being stoned? He lifted up his eyes and he saw Jesus. He saw the heavens rolled back and he got a glimpse of Jesus before he was in glory. He was blessed as he left. He never, rode, ro he never drove around in a Rolls Royce. The, uh, John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, wrote that book in prison. Do you realize that there were, he had a pastor that was doing everything he could to get him out of prison? Charles Spurgeon said next to the Bible in Matthew Poole's commentary, Pilgrim's Progress was the greatest book ever written in Christendom. And this man pinned it from prison, not a palace, no air conditioning, no McDonald's, no Rolls Royces, no airplanes, pinned it from prison, and God left him there. Even though there were ministers doing everything they could, God left him there because God was doing a work in there because people have come to the Lord through that book. And so we can't equate blessing with good times. Blessing is God's presence. And God's presence can and will be with you in prisons and palaces. When your home is full and when your home is empty. If you look at blessing as when your home is full, you'll look at it as cursed when it's empty. However, Jesus oftentimes withdrew to himself. And he was blessed. He was blessed. But when we look at the world today and you, you see that, that people in the same way back then is the same way they do today, they, they, they keep laying up treasures on earth. And the more treasure you put on earth is the bigger target for a thief. It's a bigger target for the thief. Not only physical thieves, but your flesh. Your flesh will thief from your spirit too. Now look, it says, where, uh, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and, and, and ruts doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want to stop just there for a second and just say what he's basically saying is there is something greater than worldly things. 
There is something greater than worldly things and worldly agendas. There's even something greater than our, our worldly nation. Our kingdom's greater than our nation. I love our nation. We get to live in a nation where we can freely worship Jesus Christ. I grew up with a picture of John F. Kennedy on my door. My mom was a big fan. But our allegiance is to Jesus first. First. You understand what I'm saying? But secondly, we have to understand that if we, if we treasure the things of this earth, they couldn't be taken away. Nations fall. People get sick and pass away. Jobs get lost. Economies fail. Houses burn down. Food pantries get empty. Cars rust. God never does. God never gets empty. God never rusts. God doesn't burn down. God never leaves his children. Where your treasure is is where your heart will be. And we as believers in this day and in this generation must make a choice on which is greater. That which is above, that which is eternal, or that which is temporal in the here and now. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can finish out this sermon and that passage in a minute. But you can't serve God and mammon at the same time. You're going to love one and hate the other. Or you're going to serve one. You're going to disobey the other. But one way or another, you have to choose whom you'll serve. Jehovah God or the God of this earth. The prince of the power of the air or the prince of peace. We choose the one that we serve. But one is greater. Do you see that? And every Every believer in every generation has to make a choice on which is greater. Which is greater? Uh, you know, it makes, it, it's, it's kind of touchy now because of the situation we're in, but I've always said that, you know, those 5K walks and protests, they, they don't compare to getting on your knees at altars. You can hoop and holler, but until you hit your knees at the altar, nothing's going to change God's way. God's the one that changes lives. And we need more Jesus in our culture. We need more Jesus in our nation today than we ever have, but as long as we're satisfied with the status quo, well, you know what? They're not burning down my house. They're not burning down my church. They're not burning down my... Look, if we're not willing to fight and contend against darkness, what's it going to take for us to get rid of the status quo? The ease of Zion has eaten away like a cavity the power of God in the church. I love our church. We pray. Our, you know that our prayer meetings sometimes, we have more people than come to church service. I love it. I love it. 
But I want to see that in every church. We're not the only church. I want to see that in every church. I want to see a move of God in our nation where the churches of America turn back to God and turn away from the status quo. How many is it going to take? Five, 10, 15? I don't know, but I want to be in the number. How about you? I don't want to be on the outside. I want to be on the inside. I want to be a vessel that God can use. I want to be part of the solution, not part of the complaining, not part of the problem. But the greater, that's the choice that we got to make, okay? The greater. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. The opposite of greater things is easy things. The opposite, one, one, uh, one guy said that, you know, the greatest, um, the, the greatest uh, enemy of, of great is good. So people will settle. People will settle. And the church has settled too long. We got lights, we got air conditioner, tides keep coming in. We'll settle for the good instead of being great for God. I don't know about you. I believe that the Lord has you in this generation for a purpose. This generation, the fabric of it is breaking. And you're here. You've heard messages, you've been in prayer meetings, you, you've, you've read your word, God has anointed and equipped you for a time, and this is the season that the church must get on fire and lift up its voice as a light in the darkness. You're here for this time. You might say, well, I'm not as good as I once was, but God With men, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Stop looking at what you can't do and look at what God can do. Well, how's God going to lose little old me? Well, stop looking at you. That's the first step. If David would have been looking at him, he would have never picked up those stones. But David's eyes was on the Lord. He said, this dude is defying the God of Israel. He had a heart for the glory of God. The first step, you can go, well, what about me? What? Hey, Jesus is better to look at than you, so stop. First step. So Hebrews chapter 11 Beginning in verse number 24. This is the book of faith, chapter of faith. We're going to start here in verse 24 talking about faith. Faith, by faith, Moses. Now, I want you to see that this faith that we're talking about is not to lay hands on a new Kia. This faith that we're talking about is not to share and like this post to get a blessing or Forward this email chain. 
This faith is true faith. And it costs. It costs. You can't be who God's called you to be without paying a cost for it. Because you'll be rubbing up against the world. Your family may talk about you. They talked about Jesus. He couldn't even do a lot of miracles in Nazareth. You're talking about God. Manifest on earth. Couldn't do miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Are you telling me that he couldn't snap his fingers and make them bark? Well, yeah, he could have done that. But he was working in conjunction with men, just like God does today. He chooses to work in conjunction with men. God could do anything he wants to do. If he snapped his fingers, we'd all turn into frogs if he wanted to. But he chooses to operate through our prayers. He chooses to let you and I participate in the advancement of the kingdom. But sadly, a lot of Christians aren't participating. Here we see in in verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The greater that Moses saw was Jesus, the riches of Christ. And and, and, and instead of the riches of Egypt. Now, you're talking about Egypt in its heyday. This is when they had the best of the best of everything. If there was ever a person who could typify rejecting the status quo, it was Moses who lifted himself off of a gold-plated seat and stripped off that satin robe and decided to go and identify with the low slaves of the Hebrews, of the people of God. He rejected high living for a high God. He chose to reject the status quo because he saw God was greater than it. And and, and as God's people, we must see God being greater than how good life is right now or can be. Don't ever even think about it because if the the way of living gets elevated a little bit, you're going to see the church get even robbed more of its power. If the government decided to send out a million dollars to everybody, we wouldn't even have prayer meetings anymore. Why? Well, I got my boat now. I got my car now. I got my house now. If, if, if our way of living got elevated even more, our churches would be empty even more. 
Because people are satisfied with the status quo. They don't have a heart for souls. They don't have a heart for God. They have a heart for the status quo for self. Which we see greater. God or our way of life. I love this passage of Moses. He he rejected the greatest style of living. I don't think even Bill Gates has it as good now as Moses had it. Egypt basically ruled the world. And he was second in command. Can you imagine? They probably had to pick their jaws up off the floor when he said, I'm tired of the palace. I'm going to the prison. I'm not an Egyptian, I'm a Hebrew. Well, no, no, no. You can stay here. You, you can have dual citizenship. No, I can't. He chose God. He rejected the dual citizenship with the world. And that dual citizenship is why so many believers are not walking in the power of God. They're trying to play both sides of the fence. So Moses, there's, there's three graders I want to I get on, okay? Three graders. There's three great decisions that Moses made in his life where he chose the greater over the lesser. And I want to challenge you as we go through this to choose the greater in your own life, to be who God's called you to be. Number one, It was the identity. This is what we've just talked about. The identity is that he chose the reproach of God's people over Pharaoh's family. And every child of God, uh, they have to choose Jesus over self. It's coming to an end of self, coming to an end of the way things are, and coming into relationship with Jesus Christ. It changes your identity. You are no longer who you once were. You are now a new creation. When Moses left and he became a slave, there's no going back. There's no going back. When when you choose that route, that's the route you chose. And, and, And as a child of God... When you choose Jesus, look, you get baptized into his death, and then you get raised to new life. You are no longer who you used to be. You might have used to have been the town drunk. You might have used to have been a prostitute. You might have used to, you know, had done all kinds of stuff. You might have used to have been the one that sold the drugs to the kids. You might have used to have been a lot, but now you ain't that no more. In Jesus' name. He said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. And all means all. That means God restores your innocence. God restores and remakes you into a new creation. If you identify with your past, you're doing a disservice to the work of Calvary. 
in order to be a believer, you must pass from death to life. You can't have one foot in the baptism of his death and one foot in your past. You must choose to allow God to do all that he can do in your life and let go of the past. And when you are born again, to walk in the newness of life that he's given you. Moses walked in that newness. When he realized he was a Hebrew and that the Hebrews were God's children and that the Hebrews were slaves, he did not try to ride it in the middle. He didn't try to be lukewarm about it. He chose to suffer with it. Regardless of the consequences, he identified as a child of God rather than a child of Pharaoh. It cost him luxury, but it gave him a destiny. It gave him life. God used him to be a deliverer because he rejected the status quo. And when you, as a child of God, turn to God, he likewise gives you a new destiny. You are no longer who you were. You are now a child of God. You've got a new future, a new hope, and that hope is in glory with Jesus Christ, regardless of who you were but because of who you are in Him. The identity that God gives us is to be cherished as greater than who you once were in any worldly designation. Well, I'm never going to amount to much, you know. Stop it right there. You got raised to new life if you were a Christian. Now, this identity is, is one of the most powerful things, and it is one of the most obvious things that trips children of God up. When you hold on to your past, you, you can't go in two directions at the same time. Forward and reverse don't work together. They only work in opposition. So if you want to put an adjective in front of Christian, you're doing it wrong. You're not an American Christian or an African Christian or a... Any kind of Christian. You're not a black Christian, white Christian. Yeah, everybody wants to throw labels on folks. I don't see God doing that. If God don't do it, why are we? God just says you're either in Christ or not. You're either alive unto God or not. You're either born again or not. You're either a child of God or a child of the devil. It don't matter if you're a purple child of the devil or a yellow child of the devil. It don't matter if you're a yellow, purple, black, white. God don't look at it that way. God looks at it as either you are blood-bought, you've been born again, the blood has cleansed you from your sins, you, are now, you once were dead, but now you are made alive in Christ or not. 
And when we refuse to look at things the way God does, we do a disservice to God's work. The first thing was identity. This is the greater. The second thing is the call. Somebody say the call. The first one is the identity. The second one is the call. How many of you know what the call in Moses' life was? This was the burning bush experience. When, when Moses was um, tending sheep on the backside of his father-in-law's desert, Moses is tending sheep and he sees a burning bush in Midian. And he sees the bush and he says, I'm going to go over there and see that thing. And, I, you know, some of the commentaries I've read, they said that any shepherd, right, of that day, if you don't stay on top of your sheep, this is like having kids. If you just let your kids do whatever, you're going you're gonna to walk in there and the walls are going to be painted and stuff like that. Sheep, in other words, sheep didn't just stay there and wait on the shepherd to come back. And they said that when Moses turned aside to see the burning bush, he knew it was going to cost him at least another 12 hours rounding up all the sheep. Now, I don't know if you've ever worked all day, but I don't know anybody that's ever worked all day and then said, hey, there's something interesting. I'm going to go do that, and then I'll come do another 12 hours. But there was something about the bush that Moses saw. There was something spiritual that happened when his eyes saw it, the burn. He saw that burning bush and something spiritually came alive inside him. And when he was willing to let go of the busyness of life, when he was willing to let go of the busyness of life, when he was willing to let go of the status quo of being a shepherd, he already identified as a Hebrew now he's a Hebrew doing what Hebrews do. I'm just a shepherd. I'm just a lowly shepherd. And then he sees this burning bush, and he decided to leave the status quo a second time. And when he went to the burning bush, God said, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. You're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him to let my people go. It cost Moses to let go of the status quo to be the deliverer that God was going to use. And every believer has a call of God on their life. God uses hands, feet, legs, eyes. He uses every, we don't have just all elbows in the body of Christ. God uses all people from all walks of life because he's equipped each and every one of us in different ways, but we all have a specific calling on our life. And if everybody is just sitting at home on the sidelines, we don't have the body of Christ in fullness as we should. And the world's burning. We need every kneecap, elbow, arm, foot, toe we can get right now. And we need every single part of the body of Christ to get vested in the work of the kingdom to pray this darkness out that the light of God would shine and save souls before Christ returns. That he may receive the reward of his suffering. 
I don't want to go quietly in the night when there are souls that he bled and died for out there perishing. But we'd rather have ease in Zion in the church world, in Christendom, especially American Christians. But we see that Moses received the call and let go of the status quo. And in order to be who God has called you to be, you might have to let go of who you are right now. Well, this is the way I've always done it. I, you know, I put my sheep up at 6 o'clock. I'm about to put them up. I'm just going to have to catch that bush tomorrow. You do things the way you've always done it, you might miss the call that God has on your life. You have to be willing to be unorthodox if you're going to walk with God. That don't make sense. I'm going to have to spend all night trying to find. Out. You know, they didn't have AA batteries and flashlights back then. You're going to have to spend all night in the dark trying to find all these sheep. But it's worth it to find the call of God. He saw it as greater well, what would you rather have, the mundane or the mandate? What's mundane? Let's watch another episode of Andy Griffith. It's dinner time. Get up, eat, sleep. Watch Andy Griffith. Get up, eat, sleep. Watch Andy Griffith. Hey, you want to live in the mundane or do you want a mandate for your life? Don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what God can do. You may not be who you used to be, but praise God, I'm not either. Let's be who God has us to be right now. And let's pray a work of God in this generation. Some people would rather be comfortable than live in their calling. Status quo. Status quo. Ease in Zion eats away the power of God in a generation. Last greater that I'll give you this morning is prayer. One of the greatest prayers that Moses ever prayed was not for himself. And until we get to the point where we begin to pray likewise and see a greater cause than our own selves... We're not going to walk in the greater. Moses, when, when, when the children of God were going to inherit their new land that God promised Abraham, they weren't ready to go, so they sent spies. You know the story. Ten, ten saw it one way without faith. Two saw it another way with faith. The same way in every church, right? Same way in all our lives. Got a lot, a, a lot of our flesh sees it one way, but then there's that, that still small voice in there that sees it a different way. But when all this happened, God said, okay, Moses, I'm done with them. I'm done with them. I'm going to wipe all of them out, and I'm going to raise up a new generation through you. Ninety-nine out of a hundred people that I know would have said, okay. 
99 out of 100 people that I know would have said, as long as my life stays the same, as long as I can still watch my TV show, as long as I still got my own. But Moses dropped and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. And he prayed and interceded. If you look in a topical index of the Bible, you'll see under intercession, you'll see Moses' prayer. It's listed in Deuteronomy and in Numbers. That's how great it was. Moses prayed and he said, Lord, Lord, these are your people. Don't do this. Take me. Take me. This is the same prayer that Paul prayed for his nation in Romans 9. His nation. That's what was on his heart. His nation. And that's what was on Moses' heart was these people. It, was, it went far beyond what I want and my retirement package and my house and my car and my, my, my clothes and what I want. And nobody respects me. And it went far beyond that. But he prayed for 40 days and 40 nights, not for himself, but for the people the people that even rejected him and murmured about him and complained about him and complained about God. He still saw that God respected no person. And so he went on his face for them and interceded on their behalf. And he said, God, take me out. Don't take them. Look, if you take all them out, all the other nations are going to see that you're not able to bring a people out of Egypt and into their promised land his eyes were on two things that were greater than himself others and the glory of God he saw God's glory being greater than his present situation and the, the lives of others as greater than himself. And we know Jesus said, you know, that, that, that's what love is, is when you're willing to lay down your life for others. No man knows greater love than this. And we must likewise be willing to stand in the gap and intercede for others, laying down our own lives, our own agendas, our own wants, our own desires that God may be manifest, do a manifest work in their life. That who? God be glorified. What motivated Moses was souls and God's glory. Now, compare that to most in the church world today. What motivates them? Oh, we're taking up an offering and we're praying. We ought to get an airplane. Got to get us a, a this and a that. But one of the greatest prayers in all the Bible was the most selfless prayer. The greatest prayer is obviously Jesus in John 17. But look how Moses walks that prayer out. I'm not praying for my will. I'm not praying for my namesake. He could have easily said, status quo is great. You're going to raise up a generation for me? Fine. They'll put my picture on the wall. But he said, no, no. No, no. These are your people. And it's your glory 
that I want people to see. And we, as God's people in this generation, have these three. I believe that we can all hit these three. Identifying with Christ being greater than our current place. Finding the call better than the comfortable. And going to pray for souls and for God's glory. And for God's glory. This, I believe, is imperative if we're going to see God move in our generation. Moses could have had a nation unto himself, but his heart burned for God and for God's people. You want to change a generation? Strive for the greater. Strive for the greater. Reject the status quo. Amen.